All right, hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Three Two One Go podcast. We're joined this week by Three Two One Go's uh, resident finance and accounting expert, a hub course creator, and the owner of Insight Tax, John Briggs. John, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me back. John, is this uh, number two or three that you've been on? I can't recall. Yeah, me neither. It's at least two, but maybe three. Okay. Yeah, it's always a good time having you on. As we were talking off air, John, it's always good to have somebody speaking with some good authority on on finances. For me personally, this is not something that I went to school for, obviously, and it's just kind of one of these things that you learn out of necessity as a business owner. And and thankfully, John, there are people like you creating courses and educational material to, to kind of help us learn from somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> well, we try. So, John, as I said, uh, you do have a, a course in the Hub platform right now. Uh, it is called Finance 101. And and I'm guessing this is sort of the, the quick and dirty of what any small business owner, maybe gym owner specifically, should know. Can you give us a, a brief rundown of, of what we could expect to learn from your course? Yeah, so we, you know, we acknowledge that uh, most people don't go into business to be accountants. We, we're abnormal. We get that. Um, but we also find that there is a level of knowledge that every box owner is going to need if they want to have a healthy business. And so the goal of that basic accounting course is to identify what those basic things are so that they can learn what they should spend their time on and the stuff that they don't really need to spend their time on um, unless they really want to become accounting experts, which we don't recommend. We think they should probably fulfill their life purpose and hit their CrossFit goal gyms instead of um, spending too much time in the minutia of accounting. So we've just kind of laid out some basic things they need to do. uh, At the end of the day, there's like five basic steps for action items for them to take. And if they do those things, they should at least have a good feel of the accounting in their business without the need to spend hours and hours working on it themselves. So I know, John, that you've provided some assistance to quite a few gym owners out there. Uh, You had just mentioned uh, things that we should be spending our time on that we're not and, and vice versa. Have you identified a couple of things that maybe the gym owner is ignoring or maybe something that they're spending time on that really is completely unnecessary? Well, um, for especially for the newer boxes, the desire, we understand the, the need to bootstrap, but um, a lot of those new guys are just spending way too much time on the accounting side. One, because they're just not efficient at it. And so every time they sit down to think about it and to do it, they reinvent the wheel, which then leads to procrastination. And then all of a sudden a whole year happens and they're like, oh crap, I don't have any of my numbers. And anyway, so we we kind of, our philosophy is, especially with a box, you could offset all that time and outsource it to somebody. And we talk about kind of the different options of outsourcing on the course. Um, They could find a very inexpensive option to outsource it. And really, for most gyms, 
find one new gym member to offset that cost. Now all of a sudden they freed up the time doing the accounting that they can be spending on making their business healthy while still being responsible, not abdicating the accounting, but being responsible, knowing, okay, now I have so-and-so doing some data entry for me, and I'm still going to review these important numbers. So um, the, the other thing is taking the time to actually look at the numbers. Um, some of the gym owners who are doing the accounting are just going through the motions and not actually taking the extra step of actually trying to understand what the financials are telling them. What are those high-level things that we should – so new gym owner, you know, John, a lot of our listeners are brand-new gym owners, and they kind of un- understand the idea of money coming in. Uh, so that's basically kind of where they're at. It's like I understand what my gross revenue is. Chances are that they're trading out uh, membership for coaching. They're probably not paying themselves. Uh, they certainly are not uh, having any sort of, you know, bonuses or interesting compensation packages. So I get the impression that a lot of these new box owners are really just like, okay, well, how quickly do I break even? Is is there a problem with looking at accounting that way from the outset? There's not a problem. I mean, it's it's better to think of it as I'm trying to get to break even than I'm just trying to get new members. Um, if someone's focus is on break even, at least they're somewhat thinking about expenses. Mm-hmm. But um, from there's a better way. And so, focusing on revenue is one thing. But uh, what there's a phrase that we use um, that I heard a guy named Mike McCallowitz say: "Revenue is vanity, profit is sanity," and uh, we think business owners need to start thinking about the health of the business, which is, encompasses all aspects of the finance, instead of just thinking about the top line. Um, but that being said, there are going to be some costs that they need to be aware of that they're going to have that regardless of how many gym members they have, they're going to have those costs every month. So you certainly want to set the goal to have enough income to offset those fixed costs. Um, and I get in the beginning stages, trading is good. I can just tell you, in the long run, though, it's better that once the business can afford it to treat everything as if it's a separate transaction. You know, I'm going to pay you for coaching, and you're going to pay me for your membership. Um, it's just better to keep things that way. Too often when you're trading things, both parties feel like they're getting ripped off. Uh, both parties feel like they're putting in more effort than what they're getting in exchange. And so that's why it's like, look, whatever your normal rate is, that's what I'm going to pay. And you do the same thing to me. Um, so that being said, I think business owners need to establish from the get-go how they're going to pay their coaches. That's going to be one of their largest expenses. And uh, I think also in the beginning, a lot of gym owners need to accept that their business isn't going to be healthy enough to have coaches. Uh, they're going to need to do a lot of the work up front themselves. And and that's totally fine. Um I think we're going to end up getting into this, but I, we'll come back to this when we start talking a little bit about profit-first principles. Uh, but we believe the gym owner is the most important employee, and they need to be paying themselves a wage for sure. So this is a really interesting point here, John. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your opinion on maybe some financial benchmarks that the small business owner, or in this example, the business owner, should be expecting to hit. For example, you had mentioned how do I how do I pay my coaches? Uh, uh, so while it's probably uh, equal parts like 
mathematical and a little bit of an art. You know, as we're opening up our business, I'm going to guess that you're not paying yourself. Maybe you didn't have that built into a budget. You know, at, at what point in the business, John, should we start thinking about, all right, you know, gym owner, you, you kind of need to build a salary into your operating costs. Now you need to think about, you know, reaching a full staff. Uh, you know, do, are, is there like a certain number of years that we need to be looking at? Is there a certain, um, you know, you know, expenses versus income? Like when do we start making these decisions? Good question. Um, our belief is that uh, those decisions need to be made from the very beginning. Even if the business can't afford it, you need to at least know what you're working towards. And so um, we are certified Profit First Professionals, so anytime it deals with cash, we're going to go to that cash flow uh, methodology, which is Profit First, based on a book called Profit First, written by Mike Michalowicz. And, and in it, what he did is he studied um, a thousand elite businesses that were super healthy and based on the size of the business, he identified the average percentage of revenue that was going to some different categories. And so one of those categories is owner's pay. So um, the way we look at it, and we can define real revenue later on uh, in this for your listeners, but um, we, we always look at real revenue, which is slightly different than gross income, which most people think of. Um, if a business is $250,000 or less, the owner should be taking 50% of real revenue. That's the goal they want to get to. Certainly, they're not going to be able to do that from the very beginning. But um, so we kind of look at it as, as a percentage. So if, if the business is 100000 then ideally, if I'm running uh, a lean and healthy business, then I should be taking home $50,000. And, and that owner's pay refers to my lifestyle expenses. So that I would expect to effectively be taking uh, whatever that works out to be every month, you know, $5,000 or so, uh, $4,500 or so a month. Um, and as the business grows, then, then the percentages change. Uh, anyway, so does that make sense? No, that does make complete sense. John, I would like you, however, to define what is our difference between real revenue and gross revenue? Okay. So real revenue takes into consideration material costs and subcontractor costs. Um, and I, we say it that way because it is slightly different than what people hear of when they hear the term cost of goods sold. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, that's a geeky accounting term that we don't need to get into. Right now, um, we just materials and substance. So for a CrossFit gym, if their coaches are paid 1099, which we personally are a fan of, uh, you would take your coaches pay, whatever you're paying your coaches out of your gross revenue. So for example, let's say my gross revenue is a hundred thousand and I paid my coaches $20,000 over the course of the year. So my real revenue is $80,000. Because what we're saying is, in order to get the hundred thousand, I had to pay the twenty thousand dollars to the coaches. Mm -hmm. So then, if if fifty percent is our owners' pay, then my take home should be around forty thousand. And if the business can't afford that, then I need to, you know, put on my big boy pants and look at the business and figure out how to make it healthy so that it can afford to pay me that forty thousand. And what is the difference between uh, real revenue and a profit margin? 
Um, it, for some people, the formula would be the exact same. Okay. Um, but for other, for, for for box owners, it could effectively be the same thing. Okay. Yeah, it, it'll be a little bit different for people who have manufacturing um, aspects, but yeah, it's effectively the same thing. So your sort of suggestion and benchmark is 50% of that real revenue should be going to the, the business owner. What about that other 50%? Is there a recommendation that you give for reinvesting that additional profit? Yeah, for sure. And, and just to clarify, this is on businesses that are $250,000 or less. Um, again, the, the percentages change as the businesses get larger. But so... Uh, we, there's a couple other things that Profit First says you need to take care of. Um, and let me just go back to a foundational formula with Profit First. We're all familiar with sales minus expenses equals profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, most business owners are familiar with that. Well, Profit First says that's wrong. Let, too often, business owners think of profit as an afterthought, and it shouldn't be that way. So we just reverse the formula and say it's sales minus profit equals expenses. Let's take a predetermined amount of profit, which is going to include paying myself as the owner. Let's take that up front. And then with whatever's left over, that's what I need to be operating my business on. Uh, We use the example, um, most people have brushed their teeth so they can relate to this. Uh, When you think about a tube of toothpaste, when you first open that new tube, we don't really give a lot of thought to how much toothpaste we're putting on the toothbrush. And, uh, you know, when we get to the end, though, (laughs) we become very creative on how we're getting that last drop of toothpaste out of the tube. And we even um, pay a lot of, we pay pay close attention to how much I need. Like, maybe I don't need a gigantic doll. Maybe a a dime size is better. Anyways, um, you know, people use the methods like, they uh, cut the bottom off. They do the roll thing. They get the rubber band out. Um, I, I personally like to just suck the toothpaste right out at the end just to make sure I got every last thing out. That's human behavior, and it's no different with our money. As we purposely limit our resources, we open a creativity within us to effectively use what we have. So with that side tangent in mind, to go back to your actual question, 50% goes to the owner, um, somewhere around 10% goes to your tax account. We believe the business should be covering the burden of the taxes and that the owner shouldn't be paying his tax out of the 50% he's taking. So the business sets aside about 10% for tax, and that number adjusts with our clients. We'll adjust it based on what their actual tax burden is. Uh, 5% goes to a profit account. The profit account accumulates money, and then once a quarter distributes a return of investment to the owner itself. Because we have to understand, the owner's got two hats on. There's the one hat where he's working directly in the business, operating on the day-to-day functions. And then there's the aspect of, hey, I'm the owner, and I should be getting a return on this equity investment that I have in this business. And that's where the profit account comes in. Um, So uh, that gets us to uh, 65%. The rest is what you have for operating expenses. And so for most of our clients who pay their contract, their coaches as contractors, that expense has already been taken care of. And so your operating expense becomes effectively your rent, your equipment costs, uh, marketing, those types of things. 
John, I, I'm, I don't know if you can see me right now in the video, but I, uh, your toothpaste analogy uh, was equal parts hilarious because this morning as I was like trying to leave the house and brush my teeth, uh, my wife and I like got down to the last little bit. So I had taken uh, a, a tube of her mascara and flattened out one side of the, the toothpaste and jammed the, the mascara through the back end of it to squirt out uh, what was less than a dime size of tooth, tooth, uh, toothpaste to get the job done. So it's very uh, apropos for me today. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, okay, so I, I really like where you're headed uh, because I do think that a lot of uh, box owners especially are – you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, John, that you have read the book, uh, The E-Myth Revisited. Totally. Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the vast majority of people that I've done business coaching with in the gym space, especially the CrossFit space, fall squarely into that entrepreneurial myth. And I, and I think that it kind of carries over into their accounting and how they think about their profit. Uh, just the other day, I was, I was uh, on a forum uh, on a on one of these Facebook pages where there's a lot of box owners, and somebody had talked about, well, a coach left my gym because he didn't like my programming, and he uh, undercut me on price because he doesn't care about making a profit. He just wants to break even and provide a place for people to work out. Is there a flaw in that logic, in your opinion? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I think I read the same forum, and my first of all, my heart went out to that box owner because that's, that's just tough. Um, obviously, consumers, you would want them to be loyal, but at the end of the day, if, <laughs> if they're half the cost, it, it's going to be hard to convince them to stay. Hopefully, I'm hoping some of those people will come back because in my mind, I, I, don't, I believe a service-first mentality includes the idea that my gym has to be profitable in order for me to continue to provide good service. Um, and the more profit margin that I have, the better service I can actually give to people because I can provide additional resources. But if you're going into opening a business just to break even because you have other jobs that pay your income, uh, everybody, that person will eventually get burnt out. And that burnout's first going to start in the form of really crappy service. They're going to start becoming really rude because they realize at some point they're going to realize, eh, I'm not getting a return on this. It's human nature to want value exchange. If I'm putting forth this effort, something is going to come back to me. And I believe that's just a universal truth that happens. And so if I'm going in with the mindset, I'm just going to break even, no, I'm, I'm going to eventually get burnt out because <clears throat> you're going to start thinking, well... I'm, all, I'm not making any money on this. Why am I going to deal with this particular athlete complaining about whatever? Or uh, I'm going to stop cleaning the gym the way it should be cleaned. Or I'm not going to update my equipment. And I'm going to cut corners with my WAD costs. Uh, by my, I'm sorry, my programming costs and, and things like that. It's just it's no business can sustain break even. And, and so eventually something's got to give. And normally that's uh, going to be a poor customer experience that's going to be the thing that gives i love that idea i've never had the words to put to what you just said but this idea of a service first model is uh, for a long time i feel like a lot of people had this very rudimentary idea of business where it's 
I, you know, drive down my cost to my consumers as much as possible. And then I, you know, I try to sell my product for as little as possible and gain as many customers as possible. And, and I think we're realizing now that that doesn't work or that there are other options out there. And, and so this idea that you mentioned, John, of a service-first model, I think, kind of supports this idea that there's a more enlightened consumer out there that will appreciate value and service. Yeah, and I think even the ones who may not be the enlightened consumer, uh, they eventually will get it, and they'll realize, wow, uh, I am not getting everything that I got, and maybe it is worth it to pay the extra for all the additional benefit that I do get. So I want to talk, this is something I was not planning on talking about, John, but I I think that you could speak to it uh, a little bit here. Um, I've noticed something, I've noticed a lot, uh, uh, not a lot, let's say, but there have been some affiliates that have been going up for sale. Uh, We've seen these on on Facebook uh, quite a bit lately, and I've been hearing a lot of this burnout idea. I, I have a theory I want to float it by you, and then I kind of want to get your opinion. I think that what happens is a lot of gym owners uh, achieve this level of what I call uh, artificial break-even or artificial profitability, where the gym owner is not paying themselves. They're pouring hours and hours and hours into their product, giving away things that they're not charging for, swapping out for coaches. So at the end of the month the books are at a break even meaning they're paying utilities they're paying their affiliate fee and they're paying their rent but the entire business almost becomes artificially supported by the hours of these one or two people and their hours that they're not compensated for is this something that you see specifically in gyms do you see it in other businesses or or maybe you don't even see this at all Oh, no, no, we see it, and it's it's not just something that's in the CrossFit industry. It's it's business-related for sure. Um, we have clients that go through that, which is why we became such huge proponents of Profit First and went through the effort of getting specially certified in it because the, the Profit First model really does help the business owner realize it's okay to pay yourself first. In fact, it's necessary for the health of your business and the longevity of being in business. Um, and in fact, you say that it's the, the gym that we go to, um, they recently went through an ownership change. And while I don't know the exact facts of why the three previous owners decided to sell, um, I know that all three of them had other full-time jobs because the box wasn't supporting them. And uh, none of them were actively being coaches. They just came to work out. Uh, and I guarantee they got burnt out. They, it just it's impossible to not get burnt out if you're not compensating yourself for the time that you're putting into it. And that's why paying yourself first is really important because then it really it's like the ice bucket challenge, you know, it's like a quick cold shot of holy crap, my business can't afford all these expenses. But if I ignore that and say it's okay, I can I cannot pay myself, um, it's just a matter of time before those guys realize that they're going to burn out, get burned out. Few, there are the scenario where people just get burned out because of the nature of what the business is and they don't want to deal with the challenges that come with it, like customers complaining or always having to do whatever it is. But 
the majority of businesses, especially the, the CrossFit boxes that we see that are going up for sale, it's just a matter of the, the gym owner wasn't paying themselves and they never thought to take the time and realize that really the problem that they needed to solve was making the gym healthier, not not get more revenue. Um, uh, I it, like that. It's so, two different concepts. So, so you, yeah, what you're saying is that you know the answer sometimes feels like it is more members or more revenue, but I get the impression from what you're saying that is if you add more revenue into a broken revenue model, you're exacerbating your issues. Totally. Exactly. If you have more revenue in a broken model, all you're doing is accelerating your problems. And probably requiring more of your time at that point. Because what do you, I mean, you get 50 new clients and now you're servicing 50 more people at probably less of a profit margin at that point. Yep. We call it the death spiral. (laughs) Well, so John, even though this was not on our original outline, I I think it uh, would be, uh, I think it would behoove us if, if John, maybe you spoke to a gym owner that potentially feels like they're at this crossroads of, do I cut bait and sell, or do I fix what is going on right now? Uh, uh, so maybe just, John, like a, an action step, or maybe just a, a mental exercise that this business owner can go through to maybe begin to think about, all right, how do we go about fixing this revenue model? Okay, so... The first thing I would do, and this is an invitation, uh, as part of Profit First, the first step is to do an instant assessment, which is where you look at what your business looks like right now, and based on its size, we plug it into our model and we say, what should it look like? And I am happy to do a free instant assessment to any of your listeners who reach out to us. Um, it is like a, it is like the Ice Bucket Challenge. It's kind of like a before-after picture of a diet thing, right? You look fat now, and then afterwards, this is what you would look like. Um, so that's the, the first thing is they, they have to have the courage, because it does take that, to sit down and, and see, okay, I'm willing to see the truth. If, if my business is unhealthy, uh, you can tell that to me. So that's the first step. Then after that, based on what that instant assessment looks like, it will identify the areas that need focus. And I can tell you, most of the time, the owner it's going to be the owner underpaying themselves, um, and instead their expenses are too high. And there are some things that you just can't get out of, like rental contracts. And so then it does become, okay, we need to efficiently use our rental space, and how are we going to do that? Is there any way we can generate more revenue from this type of thing? But uh, the, the owner's got to pay themselves first. And so within that process, a question I ask all of our gym owner clients to answer is, uh, based on the health of their business, again, how much time are you actually spending in the business? And does that time commitment you're giving reflect what you should be paying yourself? Meaning, uh, the reason owners pay is 50% for the smaller for these smaller businesses, less than 250000 is because it's expected that the owner is doing a lot of the work. As the business gets larger, for sure, the, the owner is going to be able to leverage his money and find coaches and find other outsourced resources so that their time commitment isn't as high. But in the beginning, um, I find that a lot of gym owners try to step out of the picture a little too early. And uh, in so doing, they've increased their expenses uh, and their business can't afford those expenses. So what we're looking at is honest look at your numbers um, and then 
kind of your second thing is how are you paying yourself? And then that third thing is, is sort of stepping away from these day-to-day things uh, at an appropriate time. Yep. And I, and I get it. I mean, there's, I, I know you've talked about this on some of your other podcasts. There, there are some things that you, you've identified for you personally. It's like, I'm just not good at that. And so I'm going to have someone else do that. There's that aspect of it. And, you know, you have to make that decision for the, because now by you stepping out of those things you didn't want to do, you're providing a better service to all your athletes. Um, for some gym owners, though, when they hear that, they don't realize that your your own business had to go through that process. And in the beginning, while you may not be as good at it as someone else, it had to get done. And so in order to cut cost and not incur paying someone else to do it for you, you probably did all those things yourself. Yeah, you're exactly right. And then you and and then I think that to your point is cuz I yeah, I don't want to be misconstrued as as coming off it like as the owner of the business, you must step away from everything and go you know, live on an island. That's really not fun. But, but honestly, like there's a sweet spot of classes that I coach to where then all when I have to go back and do all the crap that I don't enjoy, that is like a little bit more mundane administrative stuff. I feel reinvigorated because I coach to class. So it's not this idea of like, don't coach in your gym, don't work out in your gym, like enjoy it, but to the right recipe that allows you to do the other things and provide like you've been saying john this service first model yeah exactly so that's i think that's a really good advice i think there are definitely there's something in the air right now i feel like you know we're knocking on the door of the sort of there was like 2012 was sort of that next big wave of crossfit affiliates i think on last week's show we we talked about this with geo rockwell and like now knocking on the door of 2017, we're coming up on that like five year almost, I call it almost like business puberty <laughs> where burnout will probably set in if changes aren't made. Wouldn't you say, would you say five years is about when that happens? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think after five years, you've established that you can at least stay in business if you wanted to, but you have five years of probably not as much experience as you have now so you may might have made decisions that weren't as good in the beginning which we all do and uh, there might be some fat that needs to be cut off of the business and so i what my belief with the crossfit industry is at least in the u.s especially even in the area that i'm at there is becoming a saturation of uh boxes of these micro gyms and the cream will rise to the top and I, so I, I would just beg that every affiliate owner out there looks at their business and doesn't just accept, look, because CrossFit is awesome, I'm going to stay in business because you have a lot of other CrossFit competition. It's not just competition amongst uh, other gyms like these you know, $10 a month crap shoots. It's, it's other people who are providing the same methodology. And so what are you going to do to separate yourself? One of those things uh, is taking the time to look at the business side. I mean, if you, you referred to the e-myth, um, a lot of gym owners, I believe this, are those technicians that had an entrepreneurial seizure, right? They said, look, I can do this better than the current guy. Well, do it better than the current guy then. And I'm guessing the guy that you thought you could do it better than wasn't looking at the business. 
it, it does deserve attention. It can't just be about programming and the actual workouts and the customer experience. There's the back inside of business that needs attention. I could not agree with you more. Um, so I want to move on, John, uh, for this last little bit of the show. We teased it out a little bit. So this seems to be uh, a point of a lot of discussion amongst CrossFit affiliates is uh, to pay as a 1099 subcontractor or pay as a W-2 for your coaches. You've already mentioned that you fall in the 1099 camp. Uh, we've dissected this in another podcast, but uh, we've, we do have significantly more listeners now. So I, I would like you to kind of touch bases on, A, the difference between these two things, and why are some of the reasons that you favor 1099 over W-2? Okay, um, great. So I will also say this. We, we are working on a module for the hub um, that will go over a lot of this stuff in detail. Um, but so let me just say, the difference between W-2 and 1099 is the payroll tax component. Uh, if you have W-2 employees, then as the owner, you are paying 7.65% on their wage. Uh, that's, that's your burden. It goes to the government. You don't get any benefit from that. I don't care what any elected official in office says about what the government does for you, you get zero benefit of paying those payroll tax dollars. Um, that's just my belief. Um, if I pay a 1099 contractor, I don't have the payroll tax burden. Now, some people uh, who don't understand this then say, well, that's because you're hitting, the, you're laying that tax burden on the 1099 contractor. Yes, that is true, but the other part of that that people aren't talking about is that the contractor now from IRS code standpoint is the uh, they have their own business and so as a contractor and as a business owner which the tax code now lets me be I can take expenses against my income as an employee I don't get to take any expenses against my income and that mileage you know if, if you have a business you want to be in contact to your clients so even simple things like cell phone and internet, those are all things that everybody has that more than likely there's a business function to that if I'm a contractor and I can reduce my income. We, I can tell you across the board, I have not run across a scenario where if someone switched from W-2 to 1099 that they ended up paying more in tax. Every single time, the 1099 contractor takes home more money. Every time. And so because of that, well, and, and let me go back. Uh, the gym owner also then saves money because they're avoiding the payroll cost. That's our main reason why we prefer contractor over W-2. Now, that being said, we can't make the decision to categorize someone we're paying as an employee or contractor solely based on the fact that we want to reduce our payroll tax. So you legitimately have to structure the relationship so that the contractor is, in fact, a contractor. And so I'll just touch the three most important factors that the IRS looks at if they ever come knocking to figure out if the people you're paying are W-2 or independent contractor. The first one is instruction to workers. If you're providing them with instructions and telling them exactly how to do their job, then, yeah, they're probably employees. But if you say... I want you to coach this class. Uh, you are a licensed CrossFit 
trainer, uh, whatever level one, level two, whatever level they have of certification. So, uh, you know, you have the expectation they're going to teach the CrossFit methodology, but that's the extent. And then you kind of let them teach the class. You let them go over, well, how, what's the warm-up going to be? And uh, what thing are you going to instruct them on? And how are you going to instruct them? And what, are you going to do a show-and-tell type of thing? Or, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, so instructions to workers is one. Job training is two. Um, if you provide job training and require them to come to job training, then they're probably employees. If you do provide job training, it's typical that contractors are going to pay for that training. Now, in most affiliate owners' cases, uh, the CrossFit certification to be a trainer itself generally is, is enough, and they would have paid for that on their own. So um, with that said, as a gym owner, if I have a contractor, I never want to pay for their uh, training certification. They need to pay for that themselves in order to stay independent. And then the third one is the worker's ability to make a profit or suffer a loss. And this comes down to the idea, if I'm, if I'm an employee, I come to work and I'm going to get paid for my time regardless of how good or bad my output is to the, the, the business. Um, and by law, if, if uh, I don't get paid, then the business owner's in trouble, right? I mean, if I give them time, they got to pay me. As a contractor, what that's saying is, if I don't provide a good job, I'm probably not going to get paid, which means I now have the ability to suffer a loss. And if I want to make more money, then I know that I could uh, be available to coach more classes, maybe. And now I have the ability to make a profit. Uh, and so th those are the three most important ones. It it gets a lot more complicated than that, which is why we have a mo we're going to create the module so that we can talk about all aspects. There's like 21 factors the IRS looks at. Um, there's also some other experts that uh, in the CrossFit industry who have just flat out said that your trainers are employees, period. Um, and so we kind of go over some of those questions that was brought up by that expert just to make sure that we're giving people the other perspective um, uh, that allows people to pay their contractor, their coaches as contractors. Now, John, I want to ask for uh, just a little clarification on that third point uh, by using an example here that, that okay. I think everything else I think everybody will be tracking with. But I want to maybe use an illustrative example on this third point to, to see if I'm tracking with you. So let's say that I, I'm a coach and I coach some group classes. From within those group classes, I identify some individuals that want to work on something more specific. So I then have the opportunity to work on those, pull those individuals out and work with them one-on-one -on -one in a personal training setting and get paid for that personal training session as a coach. And so at this point, it's obviously the more clients I get, the more one-on-one -on -one clients I get and sell packages to, the more I will earn from that. Uh, and the same is true vice versa. I provide a poor service to these one-on-one -on -one clients. Chances are they won't buy another package of personal training from me. Uh, is, that, is that an example of this make a profit or suffer a loss? That is spot on. Okay. Yep, because if you think about it from the perspective, if I'm an employee and I'm a coach, uh, one, I don't have any motivation myself to pull those people out and say, hey, you know what, I think you might need some extra help. 
or as you've kind of talked about in some of the other podcasts, you know, sitting down with the members and going over like, what are your goals? And let's talk about your goals and then developing some more uh, services that they might want based on their goals. Um, that's something, if I'm an employee, yeah, I do it, I don't do it, I'm still going to get paid the same amount of money. So I have zero ability to make a profit or suffer a loss. But like you just explained, yeah, if I am a contractor and I know that I get a commission because I'm the one selling them and then I'm going to provide the additional service, I'm going to pull them aside and say, look, yeah, let's, we, I've identified this. Uh, if you want to get better on this, let's do this Olympic lifting program or let's add some nutrition into what we're doing for you. Uh, now I've increased my income or, like you said, if I suck at it, then... Uh, I might lose clients, in which case my income decreases. Excellent. Uh, good. Yeah, so thanks for that clarification, John. I think that makes sense. Now, uh, So to recap some of the things that we've talked about, we we talked about the course that you have in, in the Hub, uh, Finance 101. We dug really deep into profit first. So, um, it, And you had mentioned that if our listeners want to, to reach out to you, and go through this free assessment to look at their revenue model. Uh, they can. Uh, would you like them to email you or, or go to the website? How would you prefer they do that? Yeah, email is great. Just shoot me an email. Um, I'm sure you can include it in your show notes, but it's uh, John J O H N at InsightTax.com, and that's I N C I T E T A X. So it's Insight, like to incite a riot. Excellent and. I would encourage the listeners to go through this exercise. You know, John, I think probably two years ago now, almost to the date two years ago, uh, I had an experience where I actually am just like, I I just want to sit down and figure out, okay, what percentage uh, am I paying myself? What what is my profit margin? And, And I didn't even use this formula that you're talking about, but it was an experience where I just actually was like, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off and look at this thing and just kind of see where I am. And the simple act of, of doing that has, I mean, slowly but surely, it's by no means been a radical transformation, but it has significantly improved the health of my business. It's made me uh, bring on more people onto the team confidently. It's given me a little bit more time back and, and now kind of at the point where, you know, I'm looking, what are the other opportunities out there? So, I will say, I'll echo what you said, John. It can be really scary at first to take a look at this, but yet super empowering going forward. I couldn't agree more. Um, It's going to be difficult for some who know they're not paying themselves to kind of see the truth of it, uh, but it is the first step to recovery. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and to kind of wrap up our synopsis here, John, uh, the last thing we went over was looking at the difference between a, a 1099 contractor and a W-2 employee. We hit on these three main points. I'll be sure to recap them in their show notes. Uh, but this is, listeners, the part of the show where I do have to give you a caveat that uh, this does not supplement any advice from a tax professional or tax attorney. Um, so I would suggest that you get that advice somewhere else. We're just merely uh, exposing you to, to some of these different ideas. So, uh, John, is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with today? We've spoken to the brand new gym owner. We've spoken to the gym owner that's sort of 
at a crossroads where they're maybe thinking about cutting bait and selling or uh, radically changing anything. Do you have any advice or maybe words of encouragement that you can give to all the small business owners out there? Huh, putting me on the spot, huh? <laughs> the, the motivational stuff. <laughs> it can be practical. You know, um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing that gives me more satisfaction than being a business owner. And I know I see that with our CrossFit clients. Um, it, if you're truly passionate about it, most of them have that purpose in their life, which is why they opened the box to begin with. Don't give up. But you have to acknowledge that if you want change, you cannot continue to do things the way that you've been doing it. You just, you know, there's so many resources out there, especially the hub um, and, you know, 321 group. Uh, that There's just such a good community out there that tap into those resources that exist. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And chances are, if you're going through something, there's hundreds of other CrossFit owners who have already gone through it. And figure out what they did. Don't reinvent the wheel. I, I, too many people want to be different uh, when, you know, there's enough people who were different and they've still done it. So you're like those other different people. I don't know if that makes sense. But, no, it's, uh, I, I'll leave with this, John, because I think you just said it. You know, it was probably late 2013. I is a, a well-documented journey. I think I recorded an entire podcast about it, but it was my worst day as a business owner. And I'll never forget, I, I came home that night and I was talking to my wife and I was like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't think I can be an entrepreneur. And and she said to me, she goes, think about one of the athletes in, the, in your gym. And they come to you on day one. And they think they can't do CrossFit. And they're scared of it. They're overweight. They're coming up with a million different excuses why they can't do something. What would you tell them to, uh, to motivate them? And, and all I could come up with is, like, change one little thing every day like a very manageable easy thing but to what you said john if you if you don't want things to continue down the path that they're on you must change something and i'm a firm believer that uh chipping away at things day by day is is the way to make that change yeah and i think some people fear like oh man what if i make the wrong decision great we've all made the wrong decision hundreds of times but guess what as the business center, it's your prerogative to change your mind. So make a decision. If it didn't work out, change it. Yeah, I love that. John, I think that is a great place to wrap up today. Uh, listeners, uh, like I said, email John, uh, John, J-O-H-N, at InsightTax.com. Uh, go to his website. He's got a lot of cool resources out there. John, are you still doing your newsletter? Yeah, okay. monthly newsletter. Yeah, mm-hmm. One thing I love about you, John, is that you uh, – Although you are an accountant, you really understand like marketing and you write really well, which does not seem like those are two things that would go hand in hand. So, so I always do enjoy getting your emails. So uh, uh, people should subscribe to that, to that newsletter. It's good. It's entertaining. Well-written. Uh, John Briggs, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt.